Our verses today is one of the most complex and debated passages in all of Scripture. Most preachers either skim through it or avoid it altogether. You know, a Bible teacher once said this as he was preaching on our verses today. And he said this. Let me show it to you. In what follows, I reserve the right to change my mind later this evening and as often as necessary for the rest of my life until I finally settle the matter. What I'm about to do now unfold for you will annoy some, disappoint others, confuse many, and perhaps encourage a few. That's exactly how I feel. After spending hours and hours of studying the material for this sermon, I am more confused than ever. Okay, so that's just where I'm at. I've read and listened to numerous Bible teachers, and almost everyone has a different take on the passage. And even amongst us as park pastors, some of us land on different places as well. So I say all this because as we approach our passage today, we need to do so with an open hand and not a closed hand. Now, what I mean by that is that there are some things that we should never compromise on, and these are the truths pertaining to our salvation. Jesus is the only way. We are saved by grace through faith and not by works. The Bible is the word of God. We believe that God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is coming again. These are things that we hold with a closed hand. However, there are matters that we should hold with an open hand, like the details of how and when Jesus will return. Now, don't get me wrong. These details are important, but they are not the main thing. So for any of us to be dogmatic about any one position that I'm right and you're wrong would be very unwise because every interpretation around these verses has some strengths to it, and they also have some weaknesses. So what we're going to do today is that we're going to try our best to be good Bible students. Today's going to be a straightforward, good old Bible study and we're going to entrust the details to God and be gracious with those who might see things differently than us. And instead, and, and what, we should, what we're doing here today is that what we learn should not divide us and break fellowship. Instead, our hearts should be overwhelmed with love for Jesus because Jesus is coming. He came and he is coming again. The coming of Jesus should not be a center of controversy, but cause for worship. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's get into this, all right? So with that, to help manage the complexity of our verses, uh, I'm going to do a Q&A format that makes it a little bit easier to follow. So here are the questions we're going to try to work through here this morning. And here are the five questions. First, why was Daniel given this vision? Okay, that's a question about context. Why was Daniel given this vision? Secondly, what are the 70 weeks? Third, are the 70 weeks to be understood literally or symbolically? Question four, what is the purpose of these 70 weeks? And question number five, what happens during these 70 weeks? Okay, now some of you here are geeking out like this is so exciting. Some of you are like, oh my goodness. I promise we'll get practical at the very end here, okay? So here's the first question. Why was Daniel given this vision? Now, if you were here with us last week, we learned that Daniel right now is in the middle of a prayer of confession for himself and for his people. Chapter 9, verse 20 and 21. Let's read those verses. While I was speaking and praying, Daniel here, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. 
So in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, we're told that in Daniel's prayer, it's the first year of Darius, king of the Persian Empire, who conquered Babylon. And Daniel, being a good Bible student, has read Jeremiah 25 and knows that the the exile that they're experiencing will come to an end in 70 years, and they'll have a chance to go back to Jerusalem. Now, the reason for this exile is because of God's discipline. Israel neglected the Sabbath law to rest the land every seven years, and they neglected it for 490 years, which meant that they owed God 70 Sabbath years. Thus, their exile was 70 years. So by the time of this prayer, 66 years of that exile has already passed. Daniel, who started in Babylon as a teenager, is now in his 80s and knows that exile is now coming to a completion. So he prays for the restoration of Israel to come. And before Daniel is even done praying, God sends the angel Gabriel to answer prayers. Verse 22. He, Gabriel, made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have come now, I've come now, come out, come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision, okay? So Gabriel is saying this. Daniel, to answer your prayer for restoration and renewal of God's people, I'm going to give you a vision. And notice what Gabriel says to why he's giving this vision. First, he says, it's to give insight and understanding. This means that whatever Gabriel is going to say to some degree is going to make sense to Daniel. Secondly, Gabriel says, God gives you this vision because he loves you. This prophecy was not meant to put fear in Daniel's heart, but to put assurance and encouragement. Now, this is very important to understand the context of this vision because it tells us how we should interpret these verses. It should comfort us and ensure us that God is in control. There are many interpretations that do the opposite with these verses. That some scholars set up this very elaborate system to try to understand these complex verses and frankly make things even more complex. A good rule of thumb is that when you're dealing with a complex issue, is the last thing you want to do is introduce a complex system to figure it out. This vision is given to Daniel for insight and understanding. So as we interpret these verses, we have to ask, would it make sense to Daniel in his time? In addition, some scholars interpret these verses and it's full of fear and judgment and death and tribulation and destruction. Now, I'm not saying that it's not happening in these verses, but once again, this vision is given to Daniel to show how loved he is. This vision is meant to put hope and assurance in Daniel's heart and to, and to, to the people that, uh, that Daniel represents. This is the context of this vision. It's to give Daniel understanding and encouragement as he hopes for Israel's freedom from exile. Here's the second question. What are the 70 weeks? So the prophecy begins by saying in verse 24, 70 weeks are 
decreed. Now, the word weeks in Hebrew can be translated as sevens. So what we have here is 70 sevens. Now, the word weeks here is, how we, is like how we use the word decades. Decade means 10 years. So when I say 10 decades, you know it to mean 10 times 10. 10 times 10 years, which equals 100 years. So in Hebrew, the word week is how they say seven. So it's 70 sevens or 70 times seven, which equals 490 years. Okay, let me just show you the math just in case you need some help here, okay? 490 years. And what we see from our verses here is that these 490 years will be separated into three units. We have the first 49 years, 77s, then 434 years, 62 sevens, and then the final seven years, which equals 490 years, okay? So at this prophecy, whatever is going to happen is going to happen within these 490 years. And this naturally leads us to the next question. Are the 70 weeks to be understood literally or symbolically? Now, this is where the prophecy gets super debated. For those who take a literal reading of these verses, which would include seminaries like Moody Bible Institute or the book series, novel series, Left Behind, they understand the 490 years as a literal, literal 490 years. So the dates and years have to be very precise in that interpretation. Christians who hold to this view are often called dispensationalists. Now, let me just show you a chart of the three major Christian views of Daniel chapter 9. And I know that it'll be a bit hard to see on the screen here because the font's pretty small to squeeze in all those little details here. So, but in general, you have the dispensational view, which is a literal reading. And then you have the preterist and covenantal view, which is more of a symbolic reading of our verses. And for the most part, all of us, we play nice with each other until the final seven years and how the prophecy ends. Everything goes all crazy after that, okay? Now, your pastor, Rafe, I'm just going to say, holds to a preterist view. He believes that everything is fulfilled with the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. I hold to a futurist view, which believes that there is more to come. And just so you know, Rafe and I, we love each other. We disagree on this, but we love each other. We're brothers. But because Rafe is not teaching today, you're going to hear the futurist view. That's what's going to happen here today. So I would like to say this is that I would propose that a symbolic reading is the best way to approach these verses because symbolism is already everywhere. You know, a question we'll answer later is why 70 times 7? If God wanted to say 490 years, why not just say 490 years? It's so much more straightforward. It's so confusing. It's because the point is not 490 years. As many of us know here, the number seven is symbolically significant in Scripture. It means completeness. God finished creating and rested on the seventh day. The Sabbath day is the seventh day. In verse 2 of chapter 9, Israel is in exile for 70 years because they neglected the Sabbath law. 77, right? It represents completeness, and the exile represents the totality of God's judgment. So there is sevens everywhere all throughout Scripture because of its symbolic significance. Also, keep this in mind, and this is for those who take a very literal understanding of these verses— When King Darius allows the Jews to return to Jerusalem, it's only been 66 years of exile. 
It's not a perfect 70 years, okay? It's not perfect 70 years like Jeremiah prophet prophesies. So is Daniel supposed to say, hold up, King Darius. We need four more years of exile before you let us go back to Jerusalem. No, that, that, that would be crazy. Of course he doesn't do that because Daniel understood that the point of the 70-year exile was not the 70 years, but it was to communicate the totality of God's judgment on the people. 490 years is not the major point. Having exact calculation is not the goal. Instead, God is, God is calling us to consider the symbolic approximations of these years. So here's the next question. What is the purpose of these 70 weeks? So God tells Daniel that there will be six blessings that will come at the end of these 70 weeks. Look at the rest of 24 here. So it says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. And here are the six blessings that come with the seven, 70 weeks or the 490 years here. Okay, let me just show it to you. Six of them. To finish your transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Now, when you hear these blessings that come with the 77s, what do they sound like? It sounds like the work of Jesus Christ. Now, most biblical scholars agree that these blessings point to Jesus. The area of debate is when does it all happen? Did Jesus accomplish it all in his first coming? Will he accomplish it all in his second coming? Did he fulfill some and not others? I would describe what is happening here as already and not yet. Already and not yet. That Jesus has already started this redemption work of 70 weeks, but it is not yet fully consummated until he returns. That Jesus is, has already defeated sin on the cross and through the resurrection, but we have not yet experienced the full freedom from the presence of sin till he returns. Jesus has already made us right positionally before God, but we have not yet experienced complete righteousness in creation and in our our holiness. So to broadly summarize, I see the six blessings of this prophecy being fulfilled at the first coming of Jesus and being consummated in his second return. Now, the next question, if you're still following me here, is what happens during these 70 weeks? And this is the rest of the prophecy. Verse 25 here says this, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. So what we need to see in verse 25 here is it tells us when the clock starts. Okay, it says that when Jerusalem will be rebuilt, which will encompass the first seven weeks or 49 years, I believe this to be 538 BC when King Darius makes a decree for the Jewish exiles to return to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Second Chronicles chapter 36 talks about this prophetic fulfillment. Let me show it to you. Second Chronicles chapter 36 says this. Thus says Cyrus, and many scholars believe that Cyrus here is Darius, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth 
and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Do you see this? God works in King Darius' heart to let the Jewish people go back and rebuild their home. And this is when the clock starts. Once again, this would have made sense to Daniel because this would have happened within his lifetime. Dispensationalists, those who take a more literal reading where the dates have to be more precise, the start date is at least 100 years further into the future. That would have been hard for Daniel to anticipate, right? But this is something that he would have been able to see happen here. Now, what we also know is that in the next 69 weeks or for the next 483 years, we will wait for an anointed one to come. And that word anointed one is where we get in the Hebrew, the word Messiah. The Messiah will come. Now, verses 26 to 27 gives us the last seven years, the final week of this prophecy. Let's look first at verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with the flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Now, I believe verses 26 and 27 is talking about Jesus and the destruction of the temple in AD 70 by Roman general Titus. Almost all scholars agree that the first half of verse 26 is about Jesus. Verse 26 again, the first half. And after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. So this is the Messiah being put to death. Who is Jesus? And for the rest of verse 26, it says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and sanctuary. I believe this prince is General Titus who destroyed the Jewish temple in A.D. 70. Now, when you get to verse 27, this is where people lose their mind. And they begin to debate, are the events that we read in verse 27 different distinct events? Or are they the same events as verse 26? just told differently, okay? Verse 27, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator, okay? So obviously, if you guys have read the Left Behind series and all that stuff, this is a big verse for the seven final seven years, the tribulation, three and a half years, right? You know, uh, the Antichrist will come, you know, make a deceitful covenant with the Jewish people, then three and a half year, years later, break that covenant, it, you know, persecute the Jewish people, so forth, you know, this and that. And in seven years, Jesus returns, you know. So, so that's where they get this from this verse here. I go the other way, okay. I believe that this is a retelling of verse 26 with just different details here. I believe that what is happening here is a prophetic parallelism. And once again, it's because it just seems to make the most sense because verse 26 and 27 sound so similar. Let me just compare side by side here. Right? This is how it plays out. Verse 26, the anointed one comes, he's killed, and then there's destruction and desolation and war by Titus. Verse 27, the anointed one comes, makes the covenant, that's Jesus. He makes a new covenant in his blood, brings an end to the sacrifice and offering because Jesus has fulfilled the sacrificial system through his death. And the wing of abomination is the destruction of the temple in AD 70 by Titus. 
So verses 26 and 27 are best understood, are clearest to me when they are parallel to one another. Now, Daniel has heard all this, and I'll be honest with you, Daniel hears this, and he's got to be a bit uneasy because he knows that the exile is coming to an end, which is nice, but he also sees from this prophecy that the judgment of God is not yet done, that a desolator is coming. But the good news for Daniel, and this is good news for us, is that in the end here, we see that the desolator will not have the final word. His decree has come, a decreed end will come. And this for me is the prophetic future yet to come. That General Titus, or back in chapter eight with Antiochus Epiphanes, they all serve as a shadow of a type of antichrist. They symbolize what the antichrist will do in bringing deceit, war, and death to God's people. But the good news is that Jesus wins. The climax of this prophecy is Jesus will go to the cross and defeat Satan's sin and death through his blood and resurrection. And what Jesus started in his first coming, he will finish in his second coming. And this is good news. And this is why I believe God says 77s and not 490 years is because God wanted to give Daniel through the symbolisms of these sevens of the good news of the Jubilee year. Now, 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 what is the Jubilee year? It's the year of release and liberty that every 49 years, God commanded Israel to release the Jewish slaves, to cancel debts, that land that was possessed by someone else by the end of those 49 years would have to be returned to the ancestral family, that this was a day of deliverance for those in bondage. This broke generational poverty. It was a day that gave new beginning for people. Leviticus 25, let me just show you the verses here. It says this to the people of Israel about this law. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Does that sound familiar to you? That sounds really familiar to me, to what's being said here in Daniel. Verse 9, then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the 7th month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land. You shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land and all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. At the end of every 49 years, 7 times 7 was to be a year of liberty and freedom and restoration and renewal. Daniel would have known this. He knows the year of the Jubilee. So when Gabriel tells Daniel that everything will come to fulfillment at 70 times 7, 490 years, he is saying this prophecy will be like a tenfold Jubilee. Daniel, if you thought it was good news that at the end of your 70 years, you'll be out of exile, let me just tell you that at this, at this promised prophecy, it will be 10 times better than that because the future Messiah, Jesus, will come. 
that he will be the fulfillment of the six blessings of verse 24, that he'll put an end to sin. Jesus will bring an end to the punishment of exile by taking it upon himself. Jesus will be our atonement, our substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus will make us eternally right before God. Jesus will be the final redemptive word from God. Jesus will establish true and lasting worship. This 77 weeks here is a super mega stupendous jubilee. Daniel would have known this. He would have heard this. He would have been assured. This would have been clear. This would have given him hope. And let me just connect a few more dots here. In Luke chapter 4, as Jesus begins his earthly ministry, he walks into the temple, opens up the scroll, and reads from Isaiah 61. Let me show you what it says here. Luke chapter 4. Jesus begins to read from the scroll. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus quotes Isaiah and says, I've been anointed to proclaim good news, proclaim liberty, heal the blind, and release the oppressed. I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you know what year Jesus is talking about? It is the year of Jubilee, that Jesus is the ultimate Jubilee. Do you see? The 70 weeks prophecy proclaims one person, and that's Jesus. Don't miss the forest amongst all the confusing trees here. The good news that Daniel got is even better news for us. Daniel got a word that a Messiah was on his way. For us, the anointed one has come and will come again. Amen? Amen. That's the 70 weeks, okay? So what are some takeaways? Here we go. Let's get practical here. What are some takeaways here, okay? First is this. Trust your life to Christ. Trust your life to Christ. Verse 24 starts off by saying, 70 weeks are decreed. In other words, 70 weeks have been determined. Verses 26 and 27 also says that God has decreed, determined an end for the desolator. That word decreed means that God is in control. God moves history. God moves circumstances. God moves leaders and nations to accomplish his will, which is all to lead us to one person, Jesus Christ. And let me just share a story with you guys, a funny story here. You know, there was a story of a kid who was bored at home on a rainy day. So as he was looking for something to do, his dad just came back from work and he was super tired. The dad just wanted to sit on his sofa, read his newspaper and relax. But the son was looking for something to do. But the dad, he's like, you know what, I just want to take a rest right now. So he's like, you know, I have a great idea. He noticed that in his newspaper was a full-page ad of this earth, like this massive globe, picture of a globe, and an advertiser saying that, you know, this is the best product in the world, you know, something like that. So that's like, you know what, what I'll do? I'll get scissors, and I'll cut this world up into all these little puzzle pieces. And what he does is that he cuts it all up, gives it to his son, and says, son, when you're able to put this world back together, then we'll play. 
And a dad's like, oh, that is just genius. That gives me at least an hour just to relax and then just read my newspaper and just take it easy. Well, five minutes later, the son runs back and says, done. And he's per- it's, it's perfectly put back together. And the dad's like, what? How'd you do it so fast? The boy said, it was easy. On the back, there was a picture of a man. And when I put the man together, the whole world came together. Oh, that's good, right? That's good. Okay, that's not mine, though. I stole it from someone else. This is the point. When we get Jesus Christ right, the whole world comes together. Many of us here, we're in the position of this little boy, and we're holding all these little puzzle pieces. We're trying to make sense of our life. We're trying to make sense of our circumstances. We're trying to figure out what in the world is God doing? When you put the man together, the whole world comes together. When you put Jesus Christ in the proper place in your life, when you entrust your life to his hands, when you believe that God gave his one and only son to save you, the world will come together. Regardless of where you are or what you're experiencing, you can trust your life to him. You can entrust your future, your family, your ambitions to him. Is Jesus the center of your life? He should be because he's the center of history. And here's the second takeaway. Our sin runs deep, but God's grace runs deeper. Our sin runs deep, but God's grace runs deeper. Now, if you notice here with this prophecy, even though the 70-year exile will come to an end, it really isn't the end. Yes, the people of God will go back to Jerusalem and to the temple in 538 BC, but they would still be under the rule of the Persian Empire. They wouldn't ever be truly free. Once again, Daniel receives this prophecy as he is praying for the forgiveness of his people. Daniel prays that the sins that led the people into the exile would be dealt with once and for all. So God gives this prophecy to say to Daniel, you need to wait 77s before this happens. And this is the point that we need to see here. The story of sin for Israel is not over. The brokenness of sin and humanity ran so deep that the first 70 years of exile was just the first leg of God's judgment because the exile never dealt with the heart problem. The sin that led them to reject and disobey God was still in their heart, so there was still more for God to do. That even if God's people, if God's people was ever going to experience the end of transgressions, if they were ever going to experience everlasting righteousness, fixing an external problem, like being like homeless, not living in Jerusalem, was not going to fix it. God needed to fix the heart problem. And this is important. Because if God only dealt with the exterior and only moved them from exile now back to Jerusalem, but never addressed the heart issues, nothing would ever change. The deceit, the deception, the rejection will all still be there. And this is true for us. We can change the exterior, but if we don't work on the interior, nothing changes. This is why some people think, well, you know, if I, if I, if I move, you know, things will get better. It'll be a clean start. Or if you're in a hard marriage, you know, we're fighting a lot. You know, let's move to a new city. Well, guess what? You will start fighting in the new city. That, that's just what's going to happen. You just move from one location to another. 
We can have really hard seasons of life, and unless something deeper changes, nothing is going to be better. So this is why God and his righteousness must expose the sin in our hearts because the problem is not out there. It's not the exile. It's not the Babylonians. It's not the Persians. It's in here. And this is the good news of the 70 weeks. God sends Jesus not to manage sin, but to save us from sin. It's been said, if our greatest need would have been information or technology, God would have sent us a scientist or engineer. If our greatest need would have been for money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need would have been for pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But, if, but our greatest need was for, for, for forgiveness, so he sent us a savior. This was God's answer to Daniel's prayer. Daniel didn't just want the people to be freed from exile, but, he want, but, but to be freed from the heart of sin that led them there. And God in his kindness answers Daniel's prayer and says, Jesus, we are no different than the Israelites because it wasn't just their disobedience that led Jesus to the cross, but it was also my disobedience and your disobedience that did that. Did that. This world is broken and screwed up, not because of everyone else, but because of what's in here. And our only hope, just like Daniel, is that God is for, is for God to do something and to deal with our sin. And the good news is that the prophecy of the 70 weeks is God promises back then and for us today that he's committed to restoring, redeeming, and, redoing, and, and renewing, and nothing is going to stop him. That as deep as our sins run, God's grace runs deeper. Amen? Amen. That is the heart of the 70 weeks. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you, Lord, for passages like this, that even though it takes a little bit of work to be able to kind of get our hands around it, it always leads to the same place, always to the same person, and that's to Jesus Christ. That, Father, that he is the one who will deliver. He is the one that will bring an end to transgression. He is the one that will make us eternally righteous. And, Father, that is our hope. That is what we look to. So, Father, I pray for us, Lord. I pray for us, Lord, that you would help us to be people who hold to these truths of assurance to be like Daniel and to be encouraged and to know that we are loved. That God, that you see us, that God, that you know us, and Father, that you are in control. You're in control of all of history. And Father, you're in control of us. And Father, we rejoice in that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.